Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. The title of the series, we're going to call this God's Mind on Money. That's the title of the series. But each message will have its own topic. So if you miss a Sunday, I urge you to get the CD. Go back to our website. It's usually placed on our website within three days of me preaching it. You can get the full notes as well as the preaching part of it. But each one will be separate, but all underneath the series title called God's Mind on Money. Now, while I teach you this, some of you might be thinking, well, I guess I'm coming to a seminar, maybe a Bible class somewhere, a Sunday school class. That's not really the case. I'm not here merely to give you a whole bunch of outlines. What I want you to know is far more about who God is, how he operates, how he wants us to live surrounding the issue of the resources that emanates from him anyway. So the real subject is really all about God, not so much just about money. So I'm hoping to biblically raise our consciousness up that when you get your paycheck, whether it's automatically deposited in your account or whether you get a check at the end of the week, month or whatever, that while you go about life and you buy your food and you pay your insurance and all of that, that God is so permeated through all of this that he's the author of everything that we have and he is the one that is empowering us to have this and to manage what he's given all for his glory. So I want you to know it's more about him than it really is about money. But I think we all live in a real world. We're not monks living in a monastery where someone else cooks our meals for us and hands it to us. Life is really about money. There is things in life. Now I know our our life is Christ. It's hidden Christ. I get all of that. But money still is a part of what we're doing, and the Lord knows that. In fact, as I was doing the research for this message, this series, I found out that he speaks more of hell, Jesus does, than he does of heaven. And at the same time, he speaks more throughout Scripture, not just Jesus, but Scripture talks more about money than it even does of heaven and hell. So it's very much a part of us. It's Old Testament, New Testament, and it's just, just revolving through Scripture because money is part of indicating what our spiritual level is before God and recognizing and revealing to us God's sovereignty and our trust in Him as it relates to day-to-day life, which has the commodity of money. One commentator wrote, he said, "...in God we trust." but it's in debt we live. And I don't know how many of us might be in that situation, but it might be. We say we trust in the Lord, but at the same time, we're really living in debt. And my desire is to show you from a biblical point of view how God does not want us to be in debt and how that we can get out of debt, why we should get out of debt, and how we can stay out of debt. And again, it's not all about so that we have you know, a nice life here. It's so that the Lord would get glorified. As I was thinking about this, I find many times in counseling that we spend our life acquiring money, don't we? Not maybe all of you, but you know people. They spend their whole life, and it's all about getting more, 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 more. And life, they want more money. And then later on, they want to um, spend their money to acquire life. For those of us who are older, we might go back and realize that we either weren't taught these biblical principles or we were taught them wrong or somewhere along the line we misfired. I mean, we're not on the street. We're still surviving, but we're not thriving. And as we look back, we can see that we spent a lot of our life, we might say a lot of our health, to get our wealth. And now we're at this stage, and we're using our wealth now to try to get our health back that we lost, that we sacrificed in getting the wealth. Did you catch that? And that happens to a lot of us. Now, the great thing about the Lord is that he is a very gracious, loving, and the word we heard this morning, forgiving God. 
So wherever you might be, it's not for me to ever put any of you on a guilt trip or to burden you with guilt. We might feel a little bit because we stepped out of bounds, we knew what was right, and we refused to do it, and we're carrying that on our conscience. Guilt is normal. It's kind of like pain is normal. God doesn't want us to be in pain, but it kind of registers something to get us awakened. Well, if that happens to you, I want you to know that God is still a God who will give everyone who's a believer in Christ a do-over. I remember when I was a kid, sometimes learning a new sport, I'd say, can I get a do-over? Can I get a do-over? And we would get that. Now, God does give us a do-over. That's part of his grace. But he would much prefer for us to live according to God's word and not have to go back over the do-over because not every do-over do we get over again as much as what we lost because of ignorance or disobedience. So we have to keep that in mind. Now, the use and misuse of money will also reveal our personal value system. Now, when we think about that, a lot of what we do will reveal our value system. For example, if we opened up our calendar today, that would reveal our value system and how we want to spend our time, with whom we want to spend our time, or what we even want to do. Now, I know some things are on our calendar because we just have to do it. But really, nobody's holding a gun to our head, so we kind of do it out of X reason. But that'll reveal our priorities of time management and where we're going to be. If I opened up our checkbook... We could look at our check receipts, you know how you kind of write it in our register there, and we'll see where we've been spending our money. That will sometimes reveal our value system. We can go to our credit card statements and look through what we spent money on. That can reveal our value system. Now, those of you that lived a long time under guilt, when you hear that, you're saying, oh, no, I was really bad. Everything is wrong. Everything I've done with my money has been wicked, and I, I feel so burdened by this. I'm not here to burden you, and that doesn't mean everything you spent your money on reveals that you were... Um, spiritually weak or something like that. It's just what we do. It does reveal how we spend our money and what we really value. The other research I've done is I found out when people get into conflicts with one another, there are a lot of issues we can get in conflicts, but it seems like somewhere embroiled in conflicts is the idea of money, that we argue over money. When you look at first marriages, when they get criticizing one another, They're going to criticize over how we spend our money, what we spend our money on, how we're going to earn our money, who's working, who's not working, the whole idea of money. You bought that. Why did you buy that? We should buy this. And so we get conflicts over the earning, keeping, or spending of our money. Second marriages generally have their challenges with the kids. But when you go back to even the challenges with the kids, it's often about the kids and how we're spending money on your kids, my kids, our kids. And now we get into conflicts and we get very accusative instead of looking at ourselves. But it's still about money. When I looked at the crime rate, we find that in the murder, that we see a lot of murders, but it seems like the majority of murders involved in that murder is going to be the issue of money. Now, I can make an argument that it's pride that gets us, it's selfishness, it's anger out of control. I get all of that. But if you dig deeper into what was still involved in this murderous act, somewhere along the line, show me the money. You're going to see that money is involved in that. So even though we could go through Scripture and talk a lot about other things, I want us to know that money is so much a part of our life, and God knows that. And so he says, I want to show you now how you can properly use the resources that I have given to you. So it's very important. So now what I'm going to do is I want to explain to you why I'm going to go through this series because it's not just a one Sunday series. It's going to be a multi-Sunday series. And to spend that much time on this when most people don't really want to hear this because they've been beat up with this when they go to church or they already feel like this is what I'm going to do. I don't want to change. 
I have to give you some rationale of why I would even select a series like this to preach on. So here's number one. God says we must know his word on all issues, and this is a big one. That God wants us to know his word on all issues, and this is a big one. Recently in my office, if you've ever been up to my study, I've got bookshelves almost on all the wall. Actually, I do, except where I have the windows there. And I decided to count how many books and resources that I have on the topic of stewardship or money or that whole dynamic. I counted in my own personal library 27 different books and resources on money. If you went to our church library, which I believe we have the finest church library on our island, it's a high-level library. Now, it's not so high-level you couldn't understand it, but it's not just with a lot of fluffy books with good books in there. There are books on money management there. Why am I telling you that? We have a plethora of resources available to us to help us with our money. None of that is bad. The only time it becomes bad is when we use that book or that resource or that writer to become God in how we're to do what we're supposed to do. The authority on how we handle our money is the Bible. So if I could do this in a little fun way, if I took my 27 resources, which I wanted to do on a table and stack them up here, we must remember that the Bible still goes on top of that. So while I'll use resources sometimes to focus, sometimes to help me get a perspective, I must remind you that I'm not teaching some other man's material. I'm not going through another woman's Bible study. We're going through the Word of God. So I invite you to bring a Bible with you every single Sunday. I encourage you to get one. I particularly use the New American Standard because I like the literal translation. They are Bibles in your pew racks or in your books, uh, uh, chairs in front of you so that you'll have it. But I'm committed for us to see what God has to say in His Word about the commodity of finances. And we're going to learn that from his word. This is our textbook. Number two, it's important to clarify and correct misconceptions regarding our finances. Now, on these misconceptions, I want you to know I picked seven myths, we might call them, about money. So let me go through them very quickly because some of you might have those now. And I'm not going to spend all the time on correcting these misconceptions, but I'm going to let you know what they are to let you know that we live in a real world and we've got to... We've got to clarify and correct them. Number one, money is evil. We automatically think that money is evil, and you might hear that some places. In fact, money is not evil. In fact, Scripture says that it's the love of money, and it's a root of all evil, not the root in the Greek. So it is a part of it, but not all money is evil. Why? Because God provides the money for us, provides us the ability to get the money. So money is almost an amoral issue here. It's what we do with it that counts. Number two, having wealth is sinful. It kind of bleeds in. If money is evil, therefore, if I have money, then I'm going to be sinful. And I want you to know that you are not sinful. I would encourage you that want to go a little bit further on your own, that you do a study from Old Testament to New Testament, find how many men and women were men and women of financial means in the Bible. Okay, So just having that money is not sinful. Now, how they lived, what they did with it, how they manipulated or intimidated or selfishly uh, filled their coffers with it, that's the problem. But the money itself was not evil, and having that wealth is not sinful in of itself. Number three, people who have it are important. That's a misconception. People who have it are important. When I was a young kid growing up, maybe this is why I'm so desirous of our sermons to get out on the Internet and on radio is um, when I was young, my mom and dad gave me my first little transistor radio with that little antenna that would go up, battery-operated thing, not real fancy-schmancy, when I was about eight years old, and so I would listen to radio. I grew up in South Florida, Miami, actually, 
And when I was there back in the 50s, they would not have the rock and roll stations on until noon on Sunday. They would have religious stations on, programs on. They would also have how-to programs on. But at noon, I would always wait for noon. And I would want to be there because I couldn't wait until the rock and roll stations got on. Well, I remember listening to this little transistor radio. And this statement stayed with me. And the man who did it was talking about money. And he made this statement over and over again. Listen how wrong this was. He said, money isn't important. That sounds good, doesn't it? It's the people who have it that are. And that was drilled into us every Sunday before we then go into the rock and roll station. And I want you to know very emphatically that it's a misconception when we say people who have it are important. Now the reality of it is many people who are well known do have money in means some measure they have it. But I don't want you to feel that just because you're not in the newspapers and you're not on television and you don't have high office and drive fancy cars that you're not important. Because your importance as a Christian now, your worth as a Christian is all tied up in you being accepted in the beloved one by faith alone and Christ alone. And you have all the blessings that God has for you here and in the kingdom later. The next is uh, those who are poor are not spiritual, implying that poverty is a sign of no spirituality or lack of spirituality. While it is true, remember a clarification, while it is true, people can be poor because they have chosen and made wrong choices that are in direct opposition to what God says in God's word. There is a correlation between wrong choices can bring poverty. We cannot assume that everybody who is poor is automatically poor because they're either ignorant or they're selfish or whatever. Because the Lord says, Old Testament and New Testament, the poor are always with you. I put together a message that I don't know that I'm going to have time to preach here in, any, in this series. But I have a, a message that I've, I've, I've spent a great deal of time on. What's, what's the biblical basis for providing for poor people and homeless people? Maybe I could unleash that sometime in a special setting so I could go through the study I've, I've given you on that to give you the balance between the pros and the cons and what you do and what you don't do. But the bottom line of that whole sermon is Jesus says, the poor will always be with us. And then God wants us to give away all of our money. There are some people that believe that as soon as you get it, you've got to give it away. I will be quoting in future sermons uh, people who are of great wealth and they gave all of it away at one chunk. Others then just decided to live on 10% and they gave away 90% of their income. So there are people that did that. But I want you to know God doesn't say that all of us have to give away all of our money. He does say that we have to realize every piece of resource that we have is still given to us, loaned to us, we're to manage it, it belongs to Him and now we use it for His glory. But at the same time, we're not having to give away everything that we have. The next misconception is the more we give, the better chance we have of getting into heaven. There are people today, and because that religious system, not just here in America, but globally, is the more you give, the more you will appease this angry God. And if this God is happy with you in some way, in some way that he now loves you more or likes you more or feels like you've sacrificed enough, then you can get into heaven. And so there are many people today that are trying to buy their way into heaven. The Old Testament and New Testament, nowhere. There's no verse, there's no uh, suggestion, there's no principle, there's no example of anyone who's ever taken anything that God has already given to them now to give it back to Him in order to get into heaven. In fact, we come to Him admitting that there's nothing we can do 
morally, spiritually, socially that will ever get us into heaven, that Jesus Christ did it all for us on the cross. He gives to us the free gift of eternal life. And by receiving this gift through faith in Him, that's how we get it, we have eternal life. So it has nothing to do with money. And logically, it doesn't even make any sense. How much do you give? How often do you give? To whom do you give? What do you give? You know, there's no, there's no standard of this thing. So logically, it doesn't make sense because God says it's not by giving, it's by receiving. It's not by behaving, it's by believing. All right? So the next is, as a misconception, is preachers only talk about money. Well, at the end of today, you'll say thank you. Next week, you might say, oh, he's on it again. And the third week, oh, he's on it again. I'm at the fifth week. Didn't he say he was going to end at the fifth message? But I'm going to go a little bit further on the sixth. That's all he ever talks about. I would understand that if you have that feeling and you're listening on the radio, that you might have been a part of a religious system that they hammered you about giving. I've known organizations, I even hate to admit this, Christian organizations that when they paid their staff, that they kept 10% of their staff's wages just so that they would then be guaranteed a tithe from their staff people. That's horrible to do that kind of stuff. Been to churches where they seem to just beat you over the head with money, 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 money. So why am I going to preach on this as far as always talking about money? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, I've already given it to you. I want you to know God's word, and I, I'm going to speak on this as reluctantly, as difficult as it is. The second reason is because we were in a deacon's team meeting a, a month ago, and we were talking about finances and stuff like that around the church and how we do and where we need to go. And then they began to ask, uh, you know, Pastor, speaking on money, when you do preach on tithing or giving or whatever we do, and, and we were talking about it, and one said, boy, I... I want to be careful because I used to hear that a lot in my, my other church and I took that caution very seriously because I don't want to do that. But after we came to the uh, discussion and there was a, a lively, loving, healthy... I love our deacon team. I wish every pastor had our deacon... Well, had one like our I want our team, okay? But back, to, back where I'm at. I said, I want to really teach on getting money. How do you get it biblically? There's a lot of different ways you can get multiple streams of income, and I'm going to teach that from the Scripture. You're going to learn that. The second is, once you get it, how do you guard it? All right, Because you've got to know if it's coming in and going out, if it's coming in slower than it's going out, you've got a problem. So how to get it, how to guard it, and then I want to teach you how to give that money. So then they asked, when was the last time you preached on it? And uh, so we kicked it around, and uh, a couple of the guys, I don't really, one guy said, I, I never heard you preach on it. Well, he hadn't been here that long, but I looked at my notes, the last time I gave any substantial amount of time to talk about funding, resources, finances, I did it over a period of time about six years ago, seven years ago. So let me ask this question. How many are new into this church in the last six or seven years? You've just started coming in the last six or seven years. Would you raise your hand right now and hold it up real high? Real high, real high. Okay, that's telling you how many people have not heard this. And so the team got together and they said, you go for it, Pastor. So I'm sensing now, uh, legitimately, that the board is encouraging me to teach this. Now, they don't want me to go on forever and ever. I'm in. I get that. But at the same time, we do need to cover this thing a little bit more thoroughly than just a lick and a promise, three points in a poem. So we're not only talking about money. Here's my third reason why I'm going to preach on And There is a need for us to be models and mentors to others. We need to be models and mentors to others. We've got a number of young couples that are in our church. We have some that are getting married. We've got others that are growing. And none of that to say that they are wicked in their use of money. All it's saying is when you go from single to be married, things change. We've all heard this. Two can live 
as cheaply as one. Have you ever heard that before? Raise your hand. If you believe that, raise your hand. Okay, you see a big disconnect. So what we need to do is to help them to learn how to do that. What better place to do that than around people who know the word, who are now modeling what they're doing, and giving it to the next generation. And so we're going to help you with that. In addition to this, in the fall sometime, probably after this series is done, look at the calendar, I want to teach a seminar on a Saturday. It's about three, four hours long, and it's called Teaching Your Children How to Handle Their Funding. So it implies that somehow the kids are getting money. So I'm going to show you how that happens. And how do you teach them how to handle their money? And it'll be for those starting at elementary on up. And it won't be a Sunday morning for that, but it'll be a time, a class, a one time you sit in, take notes, you'll have the material and go back with it so that you can be models of it as well as to mentor that next generation so that we can have kids that are growing up in the word in these areas here. So we need to be that and, uh, in our own life. I'm grateful for a father. And let me clarify this. My, my dad was, um, um, he couldn't hear in one year. He w- never went past eighth grade, but he started his own business. He was a painting contractor. And he wasn't very affluent, but he was successful enough to have multiple guys working for him and did a lot of the commercial work in Miami, Florida. And my dad was so wise in how he used his money. He said, don't expand, Stan, without money in hand. So he taught me about not getting into debt to expand. Now, that's a model that I got from my dad. I watched my mom, who worked in it, the business with him. No, she didn't paint. She worked in the office. But I watched my mom keep meticulous records and then taught my brother, who's 18 years older than I am, how to do that kind of record keeping so they can monitor the inflow, the outflow, the proper use and management of that funding. Now, with all of that, I had great underpinning on finances. I give God the glory for giving me parents like that. What they didn't give me, which I'm hoping to give you all here, is a greater reason to do this. They did it because they didn't want to have the pain of indebtedness and poverty because they grew up during the Depression. Okay, I want you to, to know this so that you can know a great and loving and sovereign God, and it's all about glorifying Him and building His kingdom and using this to be, meet our basic needs, but also then to take care of the poor as well as to help resource other ministries all for His glory so that... When you get to heaven, there's extra rewards in there for us doing that. So again, I want to help you as models and mentors of this. And number four, God has led me to teach on this series to equip you to glorify God through the biblical means of getting, guarding, and giving your money. I want you to glorify the Lord through the biblical means, not the way you think you should do it. I want to make sure that it's from Scripture. Now, the way you think you should do it may very well be in agreement with Scripture. Then we'll celebrate it. If it's not, then we have to repent which means to change our thinking, okay, and get back into what Scripture has to say here. Now, that's just my introductory remark. I'll give you one main statement, and then we will just blast through this list of eight. It won't take long, but it'll get you started on understanding your finances. Our first subject is on understanding your finances and the overall principle. That's the biggest lesson of all to learn under that title, understanding your finances, is this. It is not our finances It is God's finances. And you can take that quote to the bank. Excuse the pun. It is not our finances. It is God's finances. And if you would take only one thing away from today's message, if you're a believer in Christ, that you would take that phrase, that whatever I have really belongs to the Lord. And once I have that, it gives me now the platform upon which I can build 
all my decision-making process regarding the use and perhaps, unfortunately, the misuse of funding. So if you want to retitle this message, you could just simply call it Understanding Finances. I called it Understanding Your Finances to kind of hook you into this, but now I want you to know it's really Understanding Finances. So let's go to number one, shall we? These are here. I'm loading you up with a lot of verses and no subpoints, so that you can spend a great deal of your own time going over these verses yourself. Number one is all money and resources belong to God, and He can do what He wants with it. So in your own mind now, you're engaging this. All money and resources, all of it, ours, others, the whole world, everything belongs to God, and He can do with it whatever He wants. Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. So we have to at least begin to realize that whatever we have, whatever is out there, it belongs to God. So if there's anything we can do today, is I'd like you to um, take whatever finances and resources you have and unlock the chains that you have, and now you're going to give them at least emotionally back to the Lord. This is huge. You're going to take whatever that you have that you, for whatever reason, you are so conscientious with what you have. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.